Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. Of course, like last week, we were talking to Steve Cook, who had written the book on OBD2 diagnosis. Right. And our agreement, as it were, we had three books, signed copies, that uh-huh. he gave us to distribute out to our listeners. And the first caller each week, this week, next, next week, week, and the following week, right, who calls and requests a copy of the book will win a free copy of the book. Perfect. <laughs> Gives <laughs> everybody a shooting chance. Well, that's right, because the podcast runs a week behind, behind. then right. the people on podcast wouldn't have got a chance if we'd have went ahead and given it out last week so that's why we decided this week next week that basically the dates would be the eighth the 15th and 22nd right so there you go i'll see our phone lines right. lit up already we've got donnie online good morning donnie morning how are you guys doing today? great sir good morning good i just had a couple questions about my truck it's a 2004 gmc sierra 2500 gas okay got and, the six liter um yes sir okay and so the main question is the tires Mm-hmm. been reading on the website about like Michelin's and the way they're constructed mm-hmm. but I need a little bit more aggressive tread mm-hmm. is there a tire construction type to look for that will not throw off my suspension like uh, out of out of balance or cheap tire well that you know of the thing is you want a tire if possible made in what they call a segmented mold rather than a clamshell mold. A clamshell mold is two big pieces that kind of come together, and it casts a tire. And the problem is when those two pieces of shell pull apart, it tends to twist the carcass up. Now, at one time, when Michelin invented the radial tire, they were all built in segmented molds. Segmented is kind of like a collet. It's a bunch of sections that go together with a big band that holds it together. They take the band off, the sections fall away, so it doesn't stress the carcass out. That's why you get so much better tire. At that time, only the very, very cheapest, you know, four four hundred dollar junk tires were made in clamshell molds. But over the years, because there's so much less labor intensive, tires have gone to that. So if you can determine if it's built in a collet uh, or you know a segmented mold system or that, that would be one of the things. And the best way to determine that, I guess, is unless you know what you're looking for. If you look at it, you can see the flashing lines where the pieces of the collet go together. If not. You can kind of go by the price of the tire because a tire built that way is going to be a more expensive tire. Now, I know all that's kind of confusing, but that's just the way it all works. Where are you calling from, Donnie, in the Baton Rouge area or out of state? Uh, Austin. Okay. You're going to need to find someone who knows a lot about tires, who can advise you as to which ones are which. And you might just walk into the place you select and just ask them what I just told you about the clamshell moles and the segment moles and if they give you a kind of a blank stare then you're in the wrong place <laughs> yeah. but if you can find a tire like that michelin does not make anything real aggressive i can tell you all of their tires are primarily designed for the oem and oem doesn't put a super aggressive tire out they've got an at2 but it's not real aggressive when you start going with the more aggressive tires you got to go to one of the other brands and then you kind of you know caught with what you got so it's going to take some research to find the right tire, and that's one reason we exclusively sell the Michelin product, just because I know they're all good. At least in my experience, they've all yeah. been good. But so, we, go ahead. Sorry. And so, as far as like, I know lift kits, you know, do some do some damage to. They will. 
your your suspension mm-hmm. to your your linkage and everything but our leveling kit's a little safer way to no go. it's just a different name for the same thing anytime you change the design height of that suspension you're going to encounter problems because you change the okay. angles of all the suspension components I mean, the only thing you can put in that's not going to affect the suspension is a body lift, but unfortunately, it also does no good as far as clearance because the rear end all stays the same height from the road. All you're doing is just lifting the body. You're just lifting the, the body off the frame, and you do get squeaks, rattles, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, really and truly, I would kind of stay with what you got, and if you got to have more mud type use then go with a more aggressive tire tread but i wouldn't get real a lot bigger see the problem too when you go with a bigger tire is more than just the clearance of the tire if you think about a tire as a lever in other words from the center of that axle down to the road is a length and if that length becomes longer it provides more leverage working against the brakes and the drivetrain you understand what i'm saying yeah and there's the tires have to stop the truck and if that lever is longer, it's putting more leverage against the brake. So the first thing you do is start warping brake rotors because they're not designed for that. You start tearing up rear ends, tearing up drive shafts. I mean, it's just a very, very long and expensive road that you're heading down. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm not saying this to be mean or to rain on your parade. I'm telling you what I've seen in 50 years working on cars. I've taken so many of those out because people just couldn't tolerate all the stuff that was breaking and tearing up and the vibrations and the all the other problems they were having in my opinion it's just not worth doing i mean you're better off just find a little more aggressive tire tread roughly the same size as you got now and stay with that but i mean beyond that you just got to know what you're getting into and accept it and say this is what i want to do i'm gonna do it anyway and just live with the the results just remember a more aggressive tire on the road is going to wear wear a lot lot faster yeah yeah when you when you make a tire good for the road excuse me yeah for the road it's not very good in mud and when you open those treads up to make a good mud, you make it bad on the road. So you start picking up a lot more tire wear on even tire wear because it's designed to run in mud. It's not designed to run on concrete. So, you know, what I tell people a lot of time is evaluate how often you're going to be in the mud and how often you're going to be on concrete. And if you're on, yep. in the mud 1% of the time and on concrete 99% of the time, you might be better off with a side-by-side or, you know, a smaller ATV vehicle to get where you to want go to go. Where you want to go. Uh, I mean, the other option is buy another set of tires and keep them just for off-road use, but that's real hassle because you got to swap out. But you can't, you know, with everything you gain, you're going to lose something else. And when you gain the mud ability, you lose the street ability, the quiet ride, the smooth ride, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. When you get bigger on the side, you start working against all your suspension and your brakes, so you start wearing that out. When you put a lift kit to make it all fit, you raise and you put all your suspension and your drive axle all at an angle. So, I mean, it just on and on and on it goes. You paid a lot of money to get that vehicle engineered one way, and now you're changing it, you see. So you're yeah. kind of negating all the stuff you paid for to have in there. And, I mean, as long as you understand, say, hey, I'm going to do it anyway. This is what I want. Well, okay, God bless you. You know, but it's just not going to be for the most part, as good of experience as what you think. If you do do it, I would suggest keep all the old stuff just in case it does yep. turn into a problem. You can at least put it back like it was without too much money. Right. And then so, like, even on, like, the torsion bar system, mm-hmm. getting a key that yeah. Same raises it's, it up a little yeah. bit. Still, still changing gonna, the height. Yeah, he's still changing the height of the vehicle. And, and, of course, everything is relative. I mean, if you raise it up a half inch, you're going to have one set of problems. If you raise it up three inches, you're going to have a whole lot more. You know, everything's yep. exponential. And just remember, when you change the height of a vehicle, you change all the alignment issues. So right. it has to be realigned after that. Well, and if not it can that, be. But, see, you change the requirements of the alignments to an unknown. So if you set it right with, to the factory spec again, it may still wear tires because you've changed everything. Yep. Great. Well, thank you for the, <laughs> the, 
show. Thank you for the info. Thanks for the website. Y'all do a great job. Okay, Don. Thank you. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right, let's go back to our phone lines. We got Clark on line. Good morning, Clark. Yeah, good morning. I got a 2008 CRV. Mm-hmm. That, uh, I think I've got a power steering problem. Okay. My son just, uh, his car. Mm-hmm. He just told me about it. I went out and checked on it. It's got a little whining and it kind of shudders a little bit. Mm-hmm. Check it. it looks like he's out of fluid. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just, can you give me some pointers? Or yeah, else I when, I'm going to tell you, when those whine, they're whining because they're low on fluid. And so long as you fill it back up and keep it full, I can tell you, Honda pumps are very, very, very tough. We hardly ever change okay. the pumps unless they've been run empty a number of times. So it's yeah. imperative to act quickly to get the thing filled back up. Now, all that being said, make sure it is low on fluid because there's another well, little problem. Go ahead. Yeah, it's it's low on fluid. Okay. It. If it's low on I fluid, it's got yeah. it's empty. <laughs> yeah, if you don't see fluid running out from a hose or anything like that, the most likely cause going to be the rack and pinion is leaking. It's got two big convoluted boots, one on either end of the rack. And those are designed right. to keep dust and dirt and grime out of the rack, but not the whole fluid in. However, when the rack starts leaking, there's a seal inside the rack that goes out. The fluid runs into those boots, and they can hold a fair amount of fluid before it hits the ground. Between the two boots, they can hold a whole reservoir full of fluid. What you need to do, get the car in the air, get in there and cut the little clamp that holds the boot to the rack very, very carefully, because when you do, fluids could probably come gushing out all over you, and you don't want to get all over you. So carefully cut that little clamp pull the boots back if any fluid runs out the rack and pinion is leaking and you have to replace the rack right now yeah. i also, think i think looking at the tank up there i can see fluid up where the power steering tank is. now on those vehicles not necessarily of that age usually a little older than that but the hose the hose will get hard and the clamp mm-hmm. cannot seal it anymore and the fluid will leak out right. there honda also yep. has a o-ring on each one of the lines going in into into the power steering pump mm-hmm. and coming out of the pump do yourself a favor and change those because they will get hard yeah. and it will actually suck they air. They won't past leak because they're on the intake side, but what they'll do is draw yeah. air into the system and it'll give you that it aerates the fluid and starts right. whining on you. And what it'll do too is it compresses that air. When the air expands back out, it can blow the fluid out. Okay. So basically, if I put fluid, if I make sure it's got fluid in there. Mm-hmm. It should be okay to drive. You're going to prevent the damage it. until it runs low again. Right. Now, this is a right, special yeah. Honda fluid, Honda only. Do not go to a parts store and buy fluid. Go to the Honda dealer and buy the fluid. Really? Okay. Absolutely. If you All dump right. regular fluid in there, you're going to have a leak that you can't fix. Okay. That's okay. Honda so only fluid. Yeah, I'm not really interested in working on it myself. I'm yeah. just trying to get it back to the point where you can drive it until right. I can get it in somewhere. Yeah. Get, yeah. get some Honda fluid, fill it up. And what you can do is, if you got a way to jack the front wheels up, take the cap mm-hmm. off after you fill it. Do not start the engine. And just slowly turn the wheel all the way from one extreme to the other, very, very slowly. And so, that'll push the air out of the system. Several times. Several times. That pumps the air back out. When you get through top, you flew it off because it's going to take some more in when you do that. And then you can at least drive it until you can get the leak fixed. I got you. So just pump, so jack it up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do up. not Don't start leave it. The cap, leave the cap off. And right. Turn the wheel a few times. Very, very slowly from the wheel. Just turn the wheel okay. back and forth. Lock to lock. Lock to lock. And you got to do it very slowly. If you do it fast, it's going to compress that air and you ain't going to get it out. Okay. So when you said turn it, turn the wheel by hand. Yes. You're talking about the the, the, the wheel, wheel on the car. The t- I don't, I don't the need a steering wheel. No, grab the tire on the car and very slowly got turn it. it back and forth from lock to lock. 
Do it several okay. times, and that will push those pistons in and out of the rack and pinion and force the air back out of the system. I got you. So you're just bleeding the air out. Correct. 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 Because if you don't, that air is down inside the rack and pinion. It's going to stay there. When you crank the pump up, the pump pushes it further in, and it'll keep whining. Okay. Okay. All right. Appreciate the head. All right. The advice or whatever. Like, just just want to get it running so that it, I can get it to some place because right. I don't really want to do the work on it anymore. Yeah. I'm tired of that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and like I said, just don't let him keep driving around because when you're making a noise, you are damaging the pump, and those pumps are pretty expensive, and they rarely go out You know, if, as long as you yeah. keep fluid in them. Oh, no, we're doing that. I've already taken him to work. I'm just uh, getting ready to go look at it myself. All right. Good deal. Appreciate it. Thanks, All right, Clark. Thanks right. for your help. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take a quick little break. We'll be right back. If you hold on, we'll have you up straight after the break. Die back and tell me what's stressing you out, Mr. Herr Voltage, supervillain, arch nemesis of good. I have electric superpowers, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and it sounds like you're burnt out and stressed about your job. Yes, Doctor, the pressure is insane. My wife's always nagging me about my evil plans not being up to par, melting the polar ice caps, blocking out the sun, world domination. None of it's good enough for her. Uh, some days... I just want a garden. Herr Voltage, I can't really advise you on your super evil plans, but I can offer this advice on gaining some peace of mind. Bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and they catch any problems early so you don't have major repairs down the road. Hmm, I know Agco could work on my Scion, but can they work on my G19 thermonuclear urban assault car copter? You'll have to call Agco about that. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. And I see we've got a winner on our book, Mr. Raymond Rafe from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, called in and requested a copy of it. So this week's copy will go to him. And Very good. Of course, next week we got the same opportunity. Whoever calls first and asks for the book will get a copy. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got David online. Good morning, David. Hey, good morning, man. I had a question about that GM steering column clunk. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. A while back, I had my Suburban down there, and y'all put like a clamp on it, mm-hmm. and uh, that fixed it. But a friend of mine over in Dallas is having that problem, and mm-hmm. he can't find anywhere to do like a clamp they're saying there's like an updated shaft there is or something there is an updated shaft what in our experience the updated shaft will get rid of it for a while but it tends to come back again the reason we put the clamp on it is because what we have noticed is that the old shaft tends to wear the lower bushing out in the column it's just a little plastic bushing in the bottom of the column Mm -hmm. where where the shaft comes out of it so even if you fix the problem it's going to keep on knocking and making noise and that's why putting just a shaft on may make it go away for a little while but it comes right back again plus putting a clamp on the column is way 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 cheaper you, but you've got to be very careful when you do it though because you've got to tighten it just the right amount to get the noise to go away but if you tighten it too tight then you'll bind the steering column up or break so, the bushing so there is a there's a happy medium there you've got to find but it's nothing real fancy. It's just a muffler clamp is what it's designed to be. you got to find one exact diameter. I don't remember. I think it's two and a quarter. I think it is. Not 100% sure on that. But it goes down at the base of the column right where the column comes out. It ends. It's like a, a flat part, and a little metal shaft comes out of that. It, so it drops from about inch and a half, two inches, down to about a three-quarter inch shaft. Right 
in that area you want to put the clamp and like i said just snug it a little bit first if the noise is not gone maybe go a little bit tighter but you got to kind of creep up on it you don't want to just sit there and crank it down because you can either smash the bushing and bind the column or you'll break the bushing but that's been more effective than anything else we've ever done and some of those vehicles actually have a steering wheel position sensor right at the base of the column so you have to come back up behind that and it's kind of finicky about where the clamp will actually fit in there and not interfere with anything. Or you can just drive to Baton Rouge. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like I might need to plan a road trip. There you go. All right, thank you, guys. Okay, All man, right. thanks, Colin. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. You know, and, Jim has had that problem for oh years. God. Years and years and years and yeah. years. I'm talking about back in the 90s years. I think 98, when yeah. they went to that newer Silverado style, they, they picked up that problem. And I know I've drove a 2014 the other day. And it's conk, conk, but that's one of those little fixes that we come up with in the shop. Right. Because we're looking... I don't know, maybe a different perspective than the engineer who designed the truck is. He knows it's all supposed to work, and maybe he can't see beyond that. But Well, it's engineered, like you said, it's engineered for a certain design, but that design fails later on, and it takes the aftermarket to come up with a, well, a re- repair for it. came up with an inexpensive, quick, easy fix that, I guess, technically is not the proper way to do it. Maybe the proper way to do it is tear the column down, change, change the, the bushing. bushing. But, I mean, you're talking probably three, four hours labor to get that column out of there, plus $30, $40 for the bushing. Well, and tear down on the column. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you, you're talking several hundred dollars or something you can do with a $2 a, $2 <laughs> clamp and 15 minutes labor. Exactly. So, a lot of times, the aftermarket will come up, like, in the shop. When we see a continuing problem, we're looking at ways that we can fix this in a cost-effective manner. Sure. And, you know, a few weeks ago, we had talked about, how the OEM was kind of trying to put repair shops out of business. And right. I just don't think they're going to ever do it because there are just too many things like this that if they could design a proper vehicle, the repair industry would not exist. Exactly. You wouldn't need the repair industry. Yeah, but you wouldn't need a new car either. Yeah, that's right. Well, it, it'd be kind of like an iPhone where you don't ever expect you buy it because it's manufactured properly. It lasts as long as you're going to use it. Then they make it go obsolete and you throw it away and you get another, get another one, one, get the new, great, greatest one. But because they can't really build a car properly is the reason the sure. repair industry has to exist. And as long as you have creative people who are going to come up with inexpensive fixes to problems, then I think sure. you're always going to have a repair industry. Well, and it was just like Dorman did with the intakes on the, the mm-hmm. 4.6. They, right. would, they would always crack behind the alternator. In right. that scene, Dorman came up with this new intake with an aluminum crossover. Right. Works perfect. You put it on, you forget about it. Right. Well, or the little uh, attachments where the bolts that break off in the cylinder heads on the exhaust manifolds, uh-huh. which is a big, big deal. you got to pull the head off the engine to fix it, and they came out with a little plate that bolts on top of that. And you tighten it. I'm not the sure bolt it works down. as good as the original, but it seems to work. And yeah a whole lot less labor than pulling the heads off the oh, engine so by all means let's go back to our phone lines let's see we got mark online good morning mark Oop. i guess we lost mark mark if you want to call right back we'll put you up to the top of the list and get your question answered for you every week we try to have some type of a topic topic yeah. or whatever you never limit it to whatever we're talking about that day you can call on any topic you may have but i thought we'd talk a little bit with all the rain we've had locally Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of flooding locally and again a lot of cars underwater that was showing pictures on the news just a few minutes ago actually made a national weather yeah where these cars are up to the roof sure. in water and when a car gets that deep into water it's done sure i mean it's, sure. it's total it's not ever going to be able to be fixed because the water has gotten into every component on that car 
but at stages much, much, much less than that, where people don't think they're doing any damage, many times they are because sure. a car is just not it's not a submarine. Right. It's not designed to be driven in that deep of water. It's not designed to be driven in water at all, really. I mean, there's some seals and some shields that will take care of a good heavy rain. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, rain with some water standing on the road, yeah, you're going to be okay in that. You're talking, about, you're talking about an inch or two of water standing on the road. Correct. But when you start getting up to 8, 10, 12 inches of water, where sure. it's up over the tire. Well, you, you introduce all kinds of things because most of your intakes on your smaller cars are down low to pull that cool air off the ground to feed into the engine. Mm-hmm. Some of most of your intake assemblies have a, a section, trap. a trap per se, to catch water that happens to get in there. But when it fills up, that water goes straight into the intake. And when the intake opens, the valve opens and it dumps into that cylinder, it's done because water will not compress. That's right. So it starts bending and breaking things. Now, even before that may occur, you've got all this water and it's getting in past seals. Like one of my particular favorites i guess is the wheel bearings simply because every time we have an event like the one thursday right six to eight months later yeah you're going to start seeing a rash of wheel bearing replacement and we're just getting over the last rash now but we change an inordinate amount of wheel bearings Mm -hmm. and the problem is that the water seeps in past the seal it gets into the grease the grease tries to absorb because there's dispersants in the that's in right. the grease it picks up the water but the water being in there is going to start to attack the metal in the bearing and also it's going to start to emulsify the grease so that's why it doesn't do it immediately the next day it's not going to start doing it right but it may be months down the road before it starts making noise you'll be driving you'll start hearing what's that noise and it'll get a little louder and a little louder a little louder well that's a wheel bearing that's gone bad and you and, know most most people don't realize that this actually happened six months ago. That's correct. But they it's can't just now show whatever's up. happening now. And inevitably, the bearing will fail or bearings will fail. And that's one thing we always tell people is that when you've got one bad wheel bearing on the car and it's got water in it, more than likely, all four bearings have gone through the same thing. Sure. That sure. one it's wheel just, didn't likely just go through it. It may have failed first. Right. It's just a matter of time or whatever before the other three and actually sometimes you just get lucky i know not long ago we had a guy came in and we changed a wheel bearing had a bad noise well the Uh noise went away right but a few days later he starts noticing another noise well that was the tires were kind of chopped up he just didn't hear that noise because the bearing was making so much racket well now he hears that noise Mm -hmm. so he goes and gets another set of tires well that quieted down now he can hear a third noise which is actually a rear wheel bearing in this point right they all went through the same amount of water it's just a matter of which one failed first. That's right. And so when one is just screaming, that's all you're going to hear. Sure. It's sort of like if you... We've cut, actually Well, we've actually well, had you, two of them making noise, mm-hmm. and one of them was louder than the other one, and you couldn't hear it because, the the let's say, the right front one was extremely loud. Right. The left front one was also making noise. Well, it's like if a man cuts his finger off, he's not going to notice his headache. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've got to take another quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. 
not you, Denise. You're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh, but the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just joined us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. If you got a question or a comment, you give us a call. It's 291-6901. And that's what Mark did. Good morning, Mark. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. I lost you earlier. Okay. Uh, good Good morning, Louis. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. Okay, so I'm uh, I'm Mark Better. I got the Silver Charger. I'm one of y'all's regular. Mm-hmm. And okay. uh, like, a, like a fool... Tried to get through the water the other day. That's rehash of the great flood we had Thursday. Mm-hmm. And uh, I plunged right into it and uh, sucked some water right into it and hydro-locked it. Oh, goodness. And I, I even bumped the starter a few times, which was also stupid. I pretty much kissed the death on it. So it's sitting over there now. And okay. I didn't want to take up y'all's airtime for something that was just specific to me. So I wanted to be real quick. I'm looking at a new, new motor, and, and uh, Liz would call me Friday just to let me know what the situation was. All I wanted to know was, like, should I leave the sourcing of that used motor up to y'all, or would it be okay for me to kind of reach out? Because I kind of did to see what I was looking at, and there's a place in Houston and all, and they're calling me and they're saying, we got this and that, and we can overnight it. Mm-hmm. And I just told them, you know, if you want, you can contact. Uh, However you want to do it, Mark. I mean, if you want to get yeah. the motor yourself, that's fine. If we get it well, for I, you, that's fine. Yeah. So, some people don't want to have to fool with it. Was. Some people prefer to do it themselves. I mean, yeah. you're talking about getting a used motor with lower miles? Yes, sir. Yeah. Or even the same, for that matter. But I just didn't know if y'all had to be the ones to source. No, not, not at all. all. We don't care. I mean, if you want to do that, just be sure you, you get clear with the guy that it is the correct motor and everything. Because by the time we get yours out and this one gets here and something's wrong, it could be a problem. Yeah. But, I right. mean, no, I have no problem with that. Probably could save you a few dollars because if I have to go through the problem of, of sourcing it and paying for it and getting it and all that stuff, I add something to the price for doing it. And, I mean, if you want to do the legwork yourself, you can save a few bucks. Okay, okay. That's uh, good to know. Yeah, I uh, I have no excuse for it. I just it was just a stupid move. Well, that's what happens. I mean, you just don't think until it's too late. And I mean, you you weren't alone, my friend. <laughs> I think we got oh three or God, four of them in there right now. Yeah. I bet. I bet. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. Yeah, yep. I've done so much uh, maintenance, repair, kept in top shape, and then to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yep. And of course, I can't think of anything else I would normally have on my mind to ask you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll draw a blank on the air. There you go. All right, Mark. I appreciate everything you guys do, and uh, y'all have an awesome weekend. Man. Good. Thank, well, thank you. you. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, 291-6901. If you have a question or comment, or if you drove your car through the high water, <laughs> call us and talk to us about it. Looking at the weather station, and they show this same line of right storms is now it's gone through mississippi alabama it's into georgia now i think uh-huh. the atlanta area warnings of floods and all right. so just from a standpoint of your car it's a killer <laughs> oh most definitely yeah the only way to deal with high water like that is just not do it right just I don't mean, drive through and it. i know that's very inconvenient i know you're driving along here's the water you think you can make it before you notice it it's too late I know why it happens and all that. Sure. I'm just telling you, if you see water in the road, turn around, go another way. Or stop. Stop and wait. Yeah, park the car. I mean, if you have to call a wrecker to come get your car, if you have to call a 
cab or an Uber, whatever you got to do, it's going to be cheaper than the alternative. Oh, most definitely. Let me tell you, because cars just do not like that. And what happens is that as you drive through water, even not that high of water, and someone else is driving alongside, is a surge, right. a big wave. When the bumper of your car hits that water, what it does is pushing it away. Well, it comes up behind the bumper and it surges up, laps over the top of the transmission. That's how it gets in the transmission. Yep. And I mean, it's just not no good is going to come from this. I can tell you. Let's go back to our phone lines with Hillary online. Good morning, Hillary. Hey, I got a weird question for you. Okay. Y'all can answer it. So I got a 2017 Dodge 2500, uh-huh. and twice now in the last month, when I've hooked up my horse trailer to it. It's the ABS brake light has come on. Like mm-hmm. There's an issue. Okay. It stays on for a while, and then when I unplug the trailer, it goes off. Yeah, that's I- fairly common, Hillary. It's probably going to be something in the wiring of your brake. See, the, the brake light circuit is tied into the ABS unit. So if okay. anything in there that it doesn't like, like maybe a loose ground or possibly the bulbs are too much amperage for the system, I mean, any of these things are going to aggravate that. What you probably need to look at, there are some trailer hookups that operate with an isolated ground system. What they do is they'll take an input from your brake light switch and all, but they've got a little module in it that breaks it out into a totally separate circuit and sends it out to the trailer. So it isolates the trailer from From the the car. And those are fairly inexpensive. You just got to do a little research and find one. But when you hook, like, your brake lights into the, the truck. trailer on a 17 model, it's going to know something's different because now it's working a whole lot more lights than it's used to. And it may very well affect the ABS system. Okay, because I just got the new plug and everything on the trailer, and it did it on the way home. And I'm like, what the heck? I just yeah. got a new plug and everything rewired. Yeah, see, but if they wired straight into the wiring system, then it's not yeah. isolated from your computer. So what you got to okay. do, like, a lot of vehicles, if you come with a trailer package, from the manufacturer, yeah. they'll be isolated little, already. Yeah, like, like on GM, it's got a trailer module in the back, and that module isolates that from everything else. It just runs the power and stuff through the module to the trail lights on the trailer, but it only takes a signal from, from the, the truck, right. so it doesn't run the power through that thing. It's just computers are just so so sensitive to that kind of stuff. Yeah. It knows something's different and it's affecting the system. So, so it's on the truck side, or do I need to the truck? Which side do I take to the trailer? Place the trailer. The you can have to take the truck and get some type of a trailer module that can okay. isolate the trailer from the truck. Okay, that's fine, because it's, it's supposed to be towing equipped. I mean, everything, nothing was add-on. Everything came with it. Yeah, and but, what you might just do is check with a Dodge dealer and just yeah. ask them if they've got a trailer light package that you can okay. get. And okay. you're going to probably pay a couple hundred bucks for it as opposed to $30 for a regular wiring setup, but that's the only thing that's going to really work on a, on a later model stuff. Now, you don't have to have them install it. I mean, you can buy it and take it to a regular shop and have it installed probably at a much lower rate. But yeah. you can need, and it's probably aftermarket ones as well. What you want is something to isolate the trailer from the truck electrically. Isolate the trailer electrically from the truck. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll call the Dodge place and ask them. So is it unsafe to pull with that, with the anti-light brake on? No, not really unsafe, but it could back up and cause some permanent damage. You know, it could short something out, and then you end up with a much bigger repair bill than you need to. So I would do it as soon as possible. Okay, all right, thank you. All right, all right. thank you. Bye-bye. All right, I two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. You know that's the case with almost everything. Cars nowadays are just so 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 specifically wired, and so I mean they're so picky about everything. Right. You start adding stuff to it, and it really you just don't have any an- analog circuits like you used to. Everything used to be a twelve volt analog circuit. Right. Well, now it's all five volt reference and all that kind of stuff. Well, when you 
tap almost any kind of aftermarket accessory into it into your electrical system you're going to end up with some kind of problem sure be it a check engine light an abs light a radio quits working something is going to start acting crazy we've even seen where power door locks quit working or doors start locking themselves unlocking themselves the alarm system starts going on and off and the only way around that is to engineer something that simply takes the signal from the truck Mm -hmm. then it goes through like an scr and the signal controls the scr but the scr does the switching of the power that way, it isolates all that from the electrical system of the truck. It makes it like two separate systems right. getting a signal from the truck. When it sees a signal, the SCR closes the line to the taillights, and it can run current from the truck to the taillights without going through the ABS unit and all that. Right. That's the way the old Silverados were uh, wired up. They actually had a separate circuit for the trailer assembly. Mm-hmm. It has its own fuses for the lights and own relays and everything. It's just isolated, and it takes the signal from the vehicle and sends it to the trailer. Right. The old days when you could just take and tie into the couple brake of lights, scotch locks yeah. and tape them into your brake system, it's yeah. just not going to work any longer. Because, like I said, all that stuff is now analog. It's not analog. A lot of it is digital. Sure. And it's and, looking at a module, and it's supposed to have so many volts on it, and when it doesn't see the right amount of voltage or too much voltage. Well, it's got a feedback circuit because it can tell you when the taillights are burned out now. That's what that little taillight module tells you. But when it looks out there and sees twice as many lights drawing amperage across this circuit, it says, hey, something's wrong. Whoop. It's going to shut something down real mm-hmm. quick because it knows it's drawing way too many amps as opposed to what it's supposed to. Not only that, but if you have anything grounded in a manner that it doesn't like or whatever, you know, any of those things, any little peculiarity is going to throw right. that module into just a you know real mess. It just doesn't know what to do or how to do. I know almost any time we get a vehicle in, and they're having trouble with either the brake lights are not working or tail lights are not working or anything, even the dash lights are not working. Anytime we have a problem with the lighting system on a vehicle, the first thing I always do is walk to the back, see if there's a trailer hitch. Yep. If there is, disconnect that before you do anything else. Right. Because that's fast, simple, and easy, and about 80% of the time, it fixes it. You'll see the problem go away. Yep. Now, you could also go through and trace every wire in that half a mile of wire. You can home out all these circuits. You can go through a lot of heavy-duty diagnosis, well, charge the guy three hours, and he come back and say, hey, you need the trailer hitch disconnected. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, with any diagnosis like we talked about last week, you always want to go to simple stuff first. If you have a history on the vehicle that does a certain thing, you want to check that first. Sure. Just because this is what Most happens common. a lot of times. Now, it doesn't mean that's going to be the problem every single time. Nope. But it does mean you're going to probably not charge the guy as much to solve the problem by using a logical standpoint. That one, that's one thing that an expert brings to the mix mm-hmm. that a do-it-yourselfer doesn't have the luxury of. He doesn't have the years and years and years of experience generally. A lot of times he doesn't have access to pattern failures and stuff. So he's going to have to check everything on the car right. until he finally stumbles upon what's doing the issue. If you've got a lot of experience with a vehicle, you say, well, I've seen this problem 20 times in the past and this is what it was 18 of those it was this right that's the first place you're gonna go yeah let's go check this first even though that would not normally be the first thing on a flow chart that would be the first thing you check simply because it's fast and easy well you remember the old fords that had the speed sensor in the rear end Mm -hmm. they would constantly go out and it would turn the abs light on correct that was the first place we always went yeah well in fact we even kept the sensor on the shelf we used to keep a sensor because the sensor was like 18 bucks it took 15 minutes to change it 
in many cases, it, fixed it, it was just easier to go and put an on-good sensor in right. rather than – because by the time I pull the codes and run a couple of codes down, I spent more money, more time – Than it would just to put the sensor in. And because of the huge failure rate to had, I'm going to put a sensor on anyway. Sure. Or at least advise because, hey, if it's not bad right now, it's it going to fail. Be. Why don't we just start with that? It's fast, it's easy, and it fixes the problem about 80% of the time. Yep. So we can do that. That's one of those instances where changing a part – is maybe makes some sense. Mm-hmm. If you've got a part with a known extremely high failure rate, if it's not bad now, it's going to fail, and it fixes a lot of them, and it's real easy to change and real inexpensive. And the trick is you have to have a known good part. Correct. So if you buy a part off the part shelf and it's not any good, you put it in there, then well, you can run around in a tangent trying well, to figure it out. Well, now light's still on, or maybe the light's on is two more codes because this, uh, this sensor doesn't meet the specs. Right. Well, now you go off on a big old tirade of checking things, changing things, and we've seen that just countless times. Sure, sure. So, again, that's why we're real, real big on OEM parts. It doesn't mean you're getting a good part 100% of the time because OEM has their problems as well. However, the odds are much, much higher if you've got an OEM part sourced by the VIN number on the vehicle because how often have you seen two identical systems, systems that look exactly alike, the parts look exactly alike, but they're different mm-hmm. by the VIN number? Now, you can put either one in the place of it, but yeah. they're calibrated different. They so if you go to a parts store, they may only sell one part for that problem. Yep. I was looking up an alternator the other day on some type of a truck, and when you look in the OEM service data, they they list about, I think it was six different alternators that can fit this vehicle. Okay. Two different amperages and three designs of each one. Wow. They had a first design, second design, and third design on all, every one on both amperages. Uh-huh. So if you just go to parts store, they sell one one alternator. Well, yeah. now you got the wrong alternator on the truck, and, and which could cause a whole bevy of, of it problems. Cause all kinds of other stuff. Either the battery goes dead because not putting out enough, or it's kicking some circuit out because it's putting out too much, or it, the road the motor is not straight in it and it's bouncing the brushes and causing a spike and throwing it in the limp mode. Yeah, I mean we've seen transmission all kinds of out and all yeah. kinds of things. So you have to have a known good part, and the best way to do that is to go with the oem part sure. in the in vast majority of the cases unless you just absolutely know for sure there is an aftermarket part that is better than the oem which very rarely does happen there are yeah it does happen just not very very common but uh, occasionally we see that we see that a lot on front end suspension parts where the moog premium line now you got to watch because moog has since come out with two lines of parts sure. they've sure. got their cheap junk aftermarket part in the moog box and then they got the real deal right and that's the problem where people go on the internet. Oh, I found a Moog part way less expensive. No, you're getting the aftermarket Moog. <laughs> you know, you're not getting the same thing. It's kind of like the old saying, you know, you get what you pay for, but, but you don't you always get... get what you pay for, but you never get more than you pay for. Exactly. <laughs> and a lot of times, the cheapest way out is the most expensive, the expensive way in. Way. Yeah, just yep. go ahead and pay a little extra, get the good part. It's going to be way cheaper in the long run. Hey, we're going to take our third and final break. Be back with more on the Automotive Hour. Sir. How did you get in here? I used my grappling hook and climbed in through the window. Uh, as long as you have an appointment. Ah, yes, Mr. B. Wing. Uh, why are you stressed about your job? Doc, I live in an area with a high crime rate, and part of my duty is to fight that crime. But lately, it seems like every time I turn around, someone needs my help. It's like this bright light signaling. Bat, what, I mean, B. Wayne, help us. Well, Mr. Wayne, there's not much I can do in regard to your crime-fighting dilemma. But if you want some peace of mind, bring your car in once a year to AGCO for a general inspection. They'll inspect your vehicle bumper to bumper and let you know where you stand. And these guys are honest? 
Years ago, they advised me not to fix a minor electrical problem that I could live with because it was too expensive. They sound like good people. Okay, I've got to go. <coughs> I sure wish he would use the door like a normal patient. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291 6900. Excuse me, 6901. There you We've go. still got a few minutes left. We're talking about driving high water. Right, and stuff. right. And, you know, it, it's not necessarily even high water, it's heavy rain. Mm-hmm. Because the way the rain came down the other day, it, it dropped inches in several, you know, a couple Just hours. Just a few minutes, yeah. yeah. And that in, indulgence of water can get down it goes down through the air vent in the between the hood and the windshield if those vents are stop, drains are stopped up in the fenders mm-hmm. that amount of water is going to back up and back up inside the vehicle that's right so you got water coming into your vehicle it's a couple of big problems there number one it soaks in all the padding and stuff under the carpet right and that is not going to just dry out on its own what it's going to do is it's going to mold it's going to mildew it's going to make the car stink sure to high heavens and it's going to be a real big 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 problem if you don't get rid of it because the moisture and the humidity from all this water standing under your carpet is going to come up and get under your dash and get in all your circuits and all that. Right. But like you mentioned earlier, a lot of the modules and stuff now are located on the floor of the vehicle. Right. Between the floorboard and the, the carpet top, they, they started putting some of the modules under the seats. And you get an amount of water in there. I mean, they're, they're waterproof. They're not water resistant. Yeah, water yeah, they're, resistant, they're, not waterproof. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they will take a little bit of a splash, but they're not designed to be soaked underneath underwater. No. And that water gets into connectors, like you were saying before, the connectors start to corrode and you start getting all kind of weird electrical problems later on down the line. Well, and see, most of that stuff is a five volt reference. It's not even twelve volts. Right. Twelve would be very, very low. You know, we're used to home electrical which is 110 mm-hmm. whatever voltage and a little corrosion on a connection doesn't make too much difference when you got 110 volts pushing it through there sure but when you only have five volts pushing it through there if you lose one volt you're down 20 percent computer cannot operate 20 percent no. low so if you lose one volt due to a poor connection you're gonna it's just gonna, it's gonna freak out it's lost that that lead lost uh-huh. that leg completely and we see this very, very often where the water is sitting in the carpeting mat. You feel the carpet, it feels dry, but the but mat the is wet. You have a huge amount of humidity. You sit with the car in the sun with all the windows rolled up, and the, one of the giveaways, you'll start to see steam on the inside of your windows. Sure. If you're seeing that, you got You've a problem. Got a problem. you got a big, big issue. And the way you have to go about repairing that is you have to take the seats out of the car take the carpeting out the console all that has to come out then you have to get a disinfectant type cleaner clean all this stuff to get the bacteria mold what right, have you go out of it. all that and the best thing i find is you can sit it out in the sun because the sunlight tends mm-hmm. to kill bacteria and mold so set it out in the sun let it dry with the fresh air and then after it's completely dry put it all back in the car right. But, again, you're talking several hours of labor to do this. And that's if you catch it before it starts its process. Once it it starts to mold, then it's all new stuff. Right. And that stuff can get extremely expensive to replace. And a lot of the carpet that you buy now doesn't come with the correct padding on the back either. So you lose some of that padding. You lose some of the cushion. You also lose some of the insulation property. 
mm-hmm. that the carpet provides. Well, under the car is a lot of noise. You have road noise. You have the transmission, which makes noise. You have differentials. Sure. You have tires. You have all these things that create noise under the car. And the padding in the carpeting is what's isolating that from the driver. Also, you have a huge amount of heat under the car exactly. because you have a catalytic converter, which could be 800 to 1,200 degrees under there, and there's a little shield. But the padding in the carpeting is what's keeping a lot of that from coming into the car. Sure. I mean, in South Louisiana, you probably got 98 to 99 degree air underneath just, the car, yeah. just the ambient air. And we've had people come in, they'll say, well, my air conditioning just isn't cooling well enough. And you're looking, they've got the carpet out of the car. Well, yeah, the carpet got wet and I had to pull it out. It was molded and I just hadn't replaced it yet. Well, yeah, but the air conditioner's not going to be able to keep up with that. It's sort of like if you take all of the insulation out of your house. And still expect the The AC is not going to keep up because it's going to leak through all the little cracks and crevices and what have you. You have a floor pan, which is probably 22 to 28-gauge steel. Yeah. May have a little undercoating blown on the bottom side of it. If that, a lot of them are just painted. Right. A little, maybe a little bit of sound deadener sprayed onto it underneath, I mean, inside the vehicle. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to act as a thermal barrier no. to all these extremes in temperature, the noise, and all that. That's going to come in. These are the reasons. The carpet does a lot more than just make just the car look right. pretty inside and have somewhere to rub your toes when you got <laughs> shoes off. You know? So the point is, if water gets into the car, you have to be careful. If you drive through high water, what you need to do, is take and pull the carpeting back. Generally, you can go way up under the dash, and uh-huh. you can see where the carpeting ends. Pull that back right there. If there's any little side plates, sill plates around the doors, you could take that off. Those usually have to come off before you can get the carpet up enough to where you can get your hand underneath. Then it. get your hand underneath the carpet. Right, and between feel, the carpet and the floor. Feel that padding. Is the padding damp? It doesn't have to be soaking wet with right. water dripping Just out damp. of it. If it's damp, there's going to be a problem. Right. And it's better to deal with this stuff sooner than later. And oh, yeah, if you wait until the smell comes. Yeah, it's too late. Yeah, you're not going to get this out. Now you end up trying to replace all this stuff. If you got an older car, it's all been discontinued. They don't keep right. that stuff more than five or six years. So now you can't get the factory stuff. So now you end up trying to find a carpet that'll fit or going to an upholstery shop, having them make carpet for you, mm-hmm. make padding for you. And again, it's not these guys can't do a really good job with that because they can. But it's a price. It's extremely oh, yeah. labor-intensive, and it's extremely material-intensive. Yep. So you're reupholstering your car is something you would prefer to avoid if possible. Hey, we've just about talked that subject to death for today. we got to start getting ready to get on out of here. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, find a written review, and fill it out for us. There you go. Sure appreciate when you do it. It moves up in the ranking so more people can listen. also makes us feel real good about what we're doing. So give it a chance. Also call next week and ask for the book, and you'll get a copy of Stephen Cook's Diagnostics book. Hey, Precinct was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.